Well, are you ready to jump into the word with me today? Come on, let's do it. I'm so excited to get to bring this last message in this series to you this morning. We have taken the last uh, three Sundays, this is our fourth, talking about this idea of living on mission every day. We've talked about it in several different ways. The first week of the series, the idea was that we live on mission in our moments. And the reality is this, the mission field is not a place you go to. The mission field is not a set of coordinates. We are the walking coordinates. It's not where you go, it's as you go. And so the idea of that week was that each and every one of us are called by God to live on mission. When he saved you, he gave you a place to serve him. And so I just want to challenge us again in this last week, let's push back. Let's refuse to be that statistic that says only 2% of Christians in the USA actually invite somebody to church in 12 months. That is not who we are. Amen. Because we understand we're on mission and our relationships are on purpose. The second week in the series, we talked about what it looks like to be on mission in our media. And, and I know uh, that made some people uncomfortable, you know, because you didn't come to church wanting to hear me talk about Facebook or Instagram or, or Netflix or any of that stuff. But the idea is simply this, that it's the, it's the platform where we travel the fastest and the farthest and we talk to the most people. So we can't unplug from mission when we plug in to media. Amen. If you say amen on that, I just keep going to the next one. If I don't get an amen, I embellish it. That's how this works. So what time do you want to eat today? So we talked about what it looks like to, to not just be on mission on media, but to know that sometimes the way to be on mission is to unplug from media, to create a little bit of margin in our lives so that we can do kingdom business with the time that we have. And then last week, we talked about living on mission in the mess. And the reality is this, you and I are not afforded the opportunity to just say, God, I'll give you my best days. That's right. Because you don't get to choose what kind of days you have. No, you don't get to go back and replay yesterday and you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so you have one option. I can give God today or not. And so we have to learn how to give God even the mess. And we heard an incredible testimony at the end of our service last week that, that was put together in a media presentation. Pastor Chris's wife, Brittany, told her story of how over the last year, they've been walking through the battle with her uh, breast cancer diagnosis. And, and I want to tell you, that was a powerful, powerful testimony, wasn't it? I mean, that would have been a good place to end the series. On Monday, we, we uploaded that content onto Facebook, and just from Monday to Friday, it had well over 4,000 views. Isn't that incredible? People just hearing that testimony and, and live being touched. Brittany told me that even last week, she went uh, in for the, to the treatment center, and she showed it to the doctor. And uh, then she went to the other room where she was having her treatment, and one by one, nurses kept coming in. And she's like, they wanted to see this video, and she said, how does everybody know about the video? He said, well, the doctor went and put post-its on everybody's computer and said, you need to go to see Brittany Merrill. It's worth your time. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. Amen. You know, I've heard it said before, you can't have a testimony without a test. That's right. As, and sometimes it's true, you can't have a message till you have a mess. And so we need to learn how to leverage even the worst of our times for the glory of God. But I didn't end the series last week. 
because I want to talk to us today about an area where I feel like everybody can get on board because everybody's lives are impacted in this way. I want to talk about living on mission with our money. Just giving a little extra time for the amens. I I didn't get any of the first service right there either, but I thought maybe this was the spiritual crowd, so I just didn't want to rush it. I want to talk about this because this is is so practical in our lives. And the truth is, I I understand, and I knew before today came, that if I go down this road, I'm going to make some people uncomfortable. I mean, there are some people that you just don't, you don't want to talk about money, you don't want to talk about finances. And I think for good reason. I mean, let's be honest. One of the reasons we don't like to hear about this stuff is because we have been so marketed in our world that the moment somebody, you know, says we're going to do something, you feel like you just got to like clutch your purse or your wallet. Like what, where's this going? You know, this is all a setup. There's about to be a big request. You're going to ask me to give something. So let me just say right here before we get into the scriptures, we're not going to receive any more offerings today. Okay, so you can just relax. That's not where this is going. I'm not going to receive another offering today. However, I do want to offer you a challenge, and I do hope that it invokes a response in your life that is practical, that is tangible, even a response that is financial. Listen, I'm not trying to get your money, but I am trying to get you on mission. And you can't be on mission if if the area of your life when it comes to your your sustenance and your stewardship and your resources is disconnected from your worship and your singing and your church attendance. Somebody say amen to that. And so we got to learn how to get on mission with every area of our lives. You know, another reason a lot of people feel uncomfortable when it comes to this and And I don't take this lightly. I recognize that even in in an audience this size, there's probably several people that are feeling the burden right now of financial weight. Uh, You may be dealing with debt. You might be dealing with medical bills. You might be dealing with emergencies that came up. and, and, And even talking about money, it's like you can feel it in your physical body, like something changes, like your heart rate starts to go up a little bit. You feel uncomfortable. You feel anxiety and and stress, and you come to the house of God, and the last thing you want to do is feel that stuff. You want to escape those feelings, but can I tell you today that God doesn't just want you to escape those feelings. He wants you to be free from those feelings. And God cares about every area of your life. It's funny how as Christians, you know, we can say, I believe God wants to set me free from sin. But then when you say God wants to give you financial freedom, it's like that, that, doesn't, that doesn't translate. It's like there's, there's, there's no faith realm for that. But I want to tell you today that God absolutely cares, is concerned about your financial freedom. He cares about your money because he cares for your heart. That's why the Bible is full of financial advice. It's full of, did you know that out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, over a dozen of them are devoted to this topic. One out of every eight verses in the Gospels has to do with our finances and with our resources and how we manage them. The book of Philippians that Paul wrote, the whole letter is a thank you letter for financial contributions. So Paul writes that letter with that purpose, and he gives us very good, sound financial advice. The book of Proverbs, right in the middle of your Bible, is practically a finance and business management book. Jesus said it very plainly like this in Matthew chapter 6. 
Verse 11, he said, or verse 21, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, you can know a person's priorities if you just follow the money trail. You can know where your priorities, and that, that's the thing about money. See, it's revealing. I mean, you could come in here this morning and you could sing loud. You can lift your hands high and we'll all assume that you really love God. We'll all assume sincerity. You can walk around with a Bible tucked under your arm and, and we'll assume that you read it. I mean, we don't know if you just leave it in the car from Sunday to Sunday, but we'll assume that you read it. You can drop a few Christian cliches in a conversation here and there, and people will start to think that you've you know, really got a, a vibrant relationship with God. We don't know your heart, but you know, when it comes to giving, it's pretty black and white. I mean, either you give or you don't. It's pretty telling, and that's what Jesus meant when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let me just say today, in case you were waiting for this moment, I'm sorry to say I don't have a, a get-rich-quick plan for you today. I, I don't have a, an easy benefits package that's going to undo years and years of, of poor planning and financial decision-making. But here's what I do know. Regardless of your situation, regardless of how desperate or hopeless it might feel, Today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to grow in the grace of giving. You can grow in this. And that's the encouragement. Not, not that I'm not where I should be or that I wish I was farther, but just knowing today that with the Holy Spirit's help, I can begin to grow. I want to show you in the book of Acts chapter 2 a powerful truth that can easily be overlooked. Acts chapter 2 is the moment. I mean, this is the, the birthplace of the church. God pours out the Holy Spirit. They're baptized uh, with fire. And the Bible says all those in the upper room spoke with new tongues. They went out into the streets and, and they preached the gospel and thousands of people were saved. But there's something else that's communicated in Acts chapter 2 that I want you to see. And that's simply this, that generosity is evidence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, now uh, maybe you're more familiar with the other evidences of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's the gifts of the Spirit, and there's the operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and, and those are beautiful evidences, but the same chapter that shows us the baptism in the Spirit shows us that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in the church is generosity. Look with me at verse 44. It says this, Acts 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Just think about that for a minute. I mean, sometimes we read the Bible with rose-colored glasses, but can you imagine what it would look like in a community of believers if we said that everyone shared possessions and nobody had a need? Nobody had a need. Now, this was supernatural, and this was, this was unique because this was the beginning of the church, and some people would say, and that's the only reason it happened. But what I think is even more fascinating is when you flip over a couple pages to chapter 4, because now the church has grown much larger. Now there's over 10,000 believers, and there's a lot of people that have experienced salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says essentially the same thing about the church in Acts 4, verse 33. 
It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now listen to this. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You know what Luke, the writer, is telling us in this? He's saying that the evidence of God's grace working powerfully is generosity. We could say it like this. Grace that is received is getting what I didn't earn. How many of you know that was your reality at salvation? You didn't earn your salvation. You don't deserve it. You still don't deserve it. Even if you've been going to church for 30 years, we don't deserve it. Grace received is getting what I didn't earn, but grace displayed is giving what I don't owe. See, when you've experienced grace, when you've received what you didn't earn, one of the manifestations of the Spirit in your life is that you begin to give what you don't owe. That's why over and over again, the Bible says we don't give out of compulsion. We don't give out of manipulation. No, there's something on the inside of us. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit that prompts our generosity. The Bible even says in Romans 12, verse 8, that, that giving, that generosity is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It says, if you have the gift of giving, give generously. So I want you to go for a few moments with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, because I want you to see that Paul also talked about this grace of giving. And here's the context of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 8. The context is this. Paul has sent Titus to Corinth. They're going to collect a missions offering when Paul gets there. So he's writing this letter to prepare him. Now, we had our ushers pass out earlier these faith promise giving cards. I'll explain a little bit more later in the service, but let me just tell you, the idea of this card is essentially the same idea that Paul had when he wrote these chapters. We're not going to receive another offering today. But I want to give you this message and I want to give you this card as an opportunity to say essentially what Paul did. When we receive the offering, be prepared. Pray about it. Talk to the Lord about it and be prepared in advance so that you can give the, the offering that you've prepared with joyfulness in your heart. Next Sunday is Mission Sunday. And so we're going to take time next weekend to receive an offering specifically for missions. We've got missionaries that we support all over the globe. We've got missions projects that we as a church have taken on within this community that, that add up to thousands of dollars every year. Every time we reach out to this community, we do it as a free event. It, it's, it's mission for us. It's love for us with no strings attached. And so when we give to missions, we're giving towards those projects. And, and that's what this card is all about. Let's look at what Paul said. In chapter 8, verse 6, he said, So I urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. What was the act of grace on their part? He's talking about the grace of giving. Verse 7, 
He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You know, we often sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But can I tell you today, church, that grace is more than a sound. You can see grace. That's what Paul is saying. Excel in this grace of giving. He goes on in in chapter 9, again, talking about this same topic in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. In verse 12, he said, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. But, he said, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers, he's talking about the people that are going to hear the gospel because you gave, Corinthians. He said, and in their prayers, verse 14, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. Get this in your mind. Paul is saying, because you're faithful to give, this is missions. You're probably never going to meet these people, but here's what you need to know, Corinthians. Because you excel in this grace of giving, there are people on this end of your gift that are going to receive Christ. There are people on this end of your display of God's grace that never worshiped God before, but they're going to worship. They never prayed before, but they're going to pray. And when they pray, their hearts are going to go to you. They're going to thank God for you because you excelled in the grace of giving. And that is true for this church. Today, we have missionaries all over this globe that we support financially. And there are people lifting up songs of thanks and praise for you, writes Phil Assembly of God. Why? Because you excelled in the grace of giving. But Paul also wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said in verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. That scripture reminds us of this truth that God is not after your wallet today, but he is after your heart. God wants your whole heart And your generosity is a testimony to that reality because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So let me just say, it's not enough to just write a big check. We'll cash it if you do. But God's looking at your heart, amen? So it's not enough to just say, well, I guess I'll support the cause. No, this isn't about somebody else's cause. This is about me living my life on mission. This is not about do they have enough or do they need my help. It's about me saying with what I have, I'm going to be committed to God's purpose and God's plan. It's not waiting to see at the last minute. It's stepping out and saying, God, I'm going to steward every opportunity that you've given me. So today, I just want to give you two things with the time I have left. Two practical things that every one of us need to do if we're going to live our lives on mission with our money. There are two things that I think are very important. Number one, intentional living. Intentional living. Now, if you can't spell intentional, let me give you an easier word. Budget. 
I know some of you feel like I just cussed in church when I said that, but <laughs> it's not a cuss word. Budget. John Maxwell said it best when he said, a budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. Maybe you've been there before. You know, here's the thing. In church, we, we, talk, we take time every weekend to receive the tithe and the offering, and usually we share a scripture and a biblical principle of why we do it and, and what God's commanded. But can I just, in this moment, express one of the kind of overlooked principles of tithing? The, the not-so-spiritual-sounding principle of tithing is simply this, budgeting. Because tithe is a mathematical term. It just means 10%. And how many of you know you can't actually give 10% of what you have until you know what you have? So the first principle of tithing is budgeting. And the other piece of that is understanding that when you tithe, you're telling that first 10% exactly where to go. That's what a budget does. But can I just tell you that it's not enough? I know it might seem weird to hear a preacher say this, but it's not enough to give God the first 10% if you aren't responsible and accountable with the other 90%. I mean, it's not like you can give 10% of your income to God and all of a sudden that makes up for foolishness and poor stewardship with the 90%. You go, well, it doesn't matter because I tithe. No, it's a principle of tithing that begins with budgeting and understanding that I'm going to give to God first, but I'm also going to designate the other 90%. I'm going to tell it where to go. Here, here's what the Bible says about prayer in Matthew chapter 7. And, and I think this crosses over into many other areas of our lives, including finance. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, this is Jesus speaking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know what I've discovered about us? A lot of times we're really good at asking. Asking requires humility. Humility acknowledges I need help. And we can do that in our prayer lives, and we can also do that when it comes to our finances. We can ask for help. But I've noticed a lot of us struggle to go beyond the asking. And Jesus is very clear. If you want to get an answer, you need to ask, you need to seek, and you need to knock. The asking requires humility, but the seeking requires ingenuity. Ingenuity says, I'm going to try to find an answer. I'm going to seek this thing out. I'm not just going to sit on my knees and pray about it. I'm going to get up on my feet and I'm going to go find something. I'm going to seek it out. I'm going to look for an answer. And can I just say, if you're asking God to bless your finances and you've never created a plan, you need to start seeking. You need to add to your asking. You need to actually come up with a plan. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar said this, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Have you found that to be true? You hit it every time. So intentional living says, I'm going to create a budget. Creating a budget just means this. It means every dollar has a name. Every dollar has an assignment. Before I spend any of it, I assign all of it. 
Now, I'm not going to explain how to do a budget. Just Google it. There's lots of great resources that are free out there. But you're going to take every bit of your income before any of it's spent. And you're going to set aside the Lord's part first. You're going to write that line. And then you've got to take care of all the essentials, not the want list, the needs list. You need shelter, food, water, clothing. You get all that stuff covered. And if you get to the end of your whole budget, you say, wow, we got $75 left. Then you didn't do a good budget. Because the idea is not to have money left over. The idea is that every dollar has a name and a place before. So you want zero at the bottom, and you want an assignment for everything you've made. That's a budget. And you create a plan. You say, this is what, now I know what I have, and now I can make an assignment for where my money is going to go. But we don't stop with seeking. We ask with humility. We seek with ingenuity. But then we knock. And knocking requires pursuing opportunity. You got to knock on opportunity's door. Can, can I just say this? I mean, God is, he's miraculous. He can do anything he wants to do. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. And, and Larry Burkett, financial planner, said, and he owns the hills too. And, and that's true. But let me just say, for most of us, and I hope you're the exception, but for most of us, your financial miracle is not going to come by an anonymous check in the mail, Right? I mean, hey, if God wants to do that, sign me up. I'll make sure he knows my address. But you're going to have to knock. More than likely, the opportunity to right the ship financially is going to come by a new opportunity of maybe a different job, maybe, maybe something you need to sell or downsize or a subscription that you need to cancel. I read a report this week in the USA Today that said new car buyers in America pay an average of $551 per month for 69 months. So maybe the opportunity is just to sell the car. You're going, God, I don't have enough money. Well, just quit paying over $500 a month for a car. Now, I, I don't know if that's you or not. I'm just wanting you to understand that, that God wants to answer. God wants to help us. But we have to decide to intentionally live our lives. To not just wonder what happened to it, but to make our money happen for us. See, in the second week of this series, I, I expressed one of the misconceptions that we have about discipleship is that we think that it just happens in the church because it's a church word and Jesus called his 12 the disciples. And so we think discipleship just happens here. But I can promise you, discipleship is happening everywhere. We're being discipled like never before with advertising. Every day. And so, so the pushback is, no, I need that car. Man, I, I, need, I need that nice car. No, we don't need that nice car. You can drive a nice old car. But the feeling is I need that new car. Right? Like, I, I can't afford to pay my light bill, but AT&T just said I'm due for an upgrade on my iPhone. So I got to get the upgrade. No, you don't have to get the upgrade. But you're being discipled to think you are. And in the most practical sense, we could apply Romans 12 to this. says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know what God's will is, is good, is pleasing, is perfect will for your life. We understand those things. Why? The Spirit of God fills us and we grow in this grace. We ask, but we seek opportunities. We knock. You know, debt wasn't always so popular in America. 
I was listening recently to Dave Ramsey. Many of you are familiar with his program, Financial Peace University. And he said, he said, our great grandparents thought debt was a sin. Thought this was interesting. He said, in 1910, the Sears catalog said, buying on credit is folly. They put that in print. Now, some of you are like, are you serious? Because you got, you got maxed out Sears cards. In 1910, Sears put it in the catalog. Buying on credit is folly. Our great-grandparents thought debt was a sin. J.C. Penney, who was nicknamed James Cash Penny because he was so tight, didn't believe in debt. As long as he was alive, J.C. Penney, the store, never offered credit. Because it was wrong to go into debt. Henry Ford hated debt. The Ford Motor Company didn't offer lines of credit for cars until 10 years after General Motors did because of his personal disdain for debt. But that was our great-grandparents. With our grandparents, things changed. We started borrowing for silly stuff. Like in 1950, Frank McNamara printed cards in New York City that were accepted at a lot of the local restaurants, called it the Diners Club card. It's still out there today. In 1958, on the West Coast, Bank of America was started. The same year, American Express was started. That was the grandparents, but our parents, they brought on a lot of things. In 1970, only 15% of Americans owned a credit card. In 1970, in 1976, Bank AmeriCard changed its name to Visa. In 86, Sears got into a dispute with Visa about their credit, and so they started their own card and called it Discover. The same company that said 76 years earlier, buying on credit is folly, started their own credit card. But in our generation, we borrow on everything. Listen to this stat. Six billion credit card offers went out last year. Over six billion offers and 18 million people accepted them. Thought it was fascinating to see that just in the state of Pennsylvania here, that the average credit card debt is $6,065. What was even more interesting to me than that is on the scale of the most debt to the least, we're the 48th state, so most of America's got even more debt than us, on average. But what does the Bible have to say about this? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I want to read a verse to you out of Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Solomon's giving some advice, financial wisdom here that we get to listen in on. He says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. 
So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. I, I read this in the message translation, and I just love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He said, if you've impulsively promised the shirt off your back and now find yourself shivering out in the cold, friend, don't waste a minute. Get yourself out of that mess. You're in that man's clutches. Amen. That's almost too real. But he's saying, if you get in that place, you've got to do something and do it now to get out of it. The next verse says this. Verse four says, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. That's a powerful word picture. Free yourself. Get out of that trap as quick as you can. Listen, I just sensed as I was even preparing this message, and this isn't comfortable, but I just want to, I just want to lead you into this moment. I sense that maybe there are some of us here today that you just honestly need to repent to God, not to me. You need to repent to God for the mismanaging of his goodness in your life because according to the word of God, you've enslaved yourself to lenders. And when you enslave yourself to lenders, you've shackled the grace that God wants to be demonstrated through your life. The Holy Spirit that lives on you, in you, that you didn't earn, wants to be displayed through what you don't owe. But you can't display his grace through what you don't owe because of what you owe. And you've enslaved yourself and you've silenced this demonstration of God's power in your life by becoming slave to the lender. Now, I said this earlier. I just want to say it again. A word of grace. I recognize that I can't preach one message or snap my fingers or pray one prayer and undo a lot of financial issues. What I want to do today is to just reset the compass of our hearts towards the mission and the purpose and the plan that God has for us. For some of you, I just believe this. The most missional decision that you can make today is to create a budget and focus on eliminating debt as far as, far as possible, as fast as possible. You might be here today and say, I, I, don't have, I can't give to missions. I don't have anything to give to missions. But if you would just focus on living an intentional life, you might not be able to give a lot to missions right now, but one day you'll be able to give more than you could ever imagine. But it begins with living an intentional life. The second thing that you have to do is to not only live intentionally, but give sacrificially. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is talking about this offering that the church is going to give. At the beginning of, of this dialogue in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In other words, he's talking to the Corinthian churches about one of the other churches, and he's bragging on the way that God has, has demonstrated his grace through their life. Look at verse 2. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Can I say that equation in the natural doesn't make any sense? 
You don't take severe trials, overflowing joy, extreme poverty, and end up with rich generosity. But this is an equation for sacrificial giving. Look at the next verse. It says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Well, what does that look like? I mean, come on. How do you give beyond your ability? Your ability is your ability, right? I'm going to tell you how you do this. It starts with creating a budget. How many of you know you can't give beyond your ability if you don't know what your ability is? There's a lot of people that aren't giving sacrificially to God out of fear, out of fear. I'm not going to have enough. But you would actually find out if you lived intentionally, you do have enough. That God has blessed you and you could do more, but you haven't done more because you don't know what you have. And so we begin by just knowing what we have and finding out what our ability is. And then we align ourselves with God's word and we give God what he's already required of us. See, we receive offerings, but we take the tithe. And the reason we take it is because the Bible says it belongs to the Lord. And so when you you give it, you're not saying, well, I guess I'll contribute. No, you're saying, God, this is yours. I just want to give this to you. Lord, I want you to take this back. And you give God the tithe. And so when you know what you have and you give God what he said is his, then you say, now, God, what have you given me the ability to do beyond that? Could, could, I, could I be a part of, of this building fund? Could I be a part of supporting a missionary? Could I go beyond this? Could I do something that's actually sacrificial? Yeah, I love the story Ray Steadman told. He said there was an usher that was collecting the offering one morning, and there was an old gentleman that pulled out a $10 bill, and he said, well, I guess I can give that and not feel it. And the usher was pretty quick-witted. He said, well, then why don't you grab a 20 and feel it? That's sacrificial giving. That's saying, you know what? This, this is going to stretch my faith a little bit. But God, if you would help me, I believe this is what you're asking me to do in this moment. Look at the next verse. Verse 4 says this. First, or 2 Corinthians 8. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I love that. Again, he's bragging to the Corinthians about the Macedonians. He said they urgently pleaded. They wanted to be a part of this thing. I didn't have to twist their arm. I didn't have to try to, you know, like show them pictures of starving children back in Jerusalem or the persecuted church. We just told them and they said, please, when can we get involved? How can we be a part of it? I was thinking this week about uh, Vicki Van Sickle. She was in the 9 a.m. service this morning. And back in January, I made an announcement that we're going to be starting an outreach team. And I said, if anyone wants to be a part of the outreach team, we've got a meeting coming up. I want you to be a part of it. Well, after that meeting, Vicki later told me, she said, when you made that announcement, something on the inside of me jumped. That's what I've been waiting to hear. She's been coming to church here for a few months, and she said, that's what I've been waiting to hear. Something on the inside urgently pleaded and said, I want to be a part of that. Where's the sign-up sheet? When's the meeting? When can I be a part of it? That's a desire to say, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. See, when you, when you go to give above and beyond your regular 
tithe and you say, God, I want to be a part of something greater, don't ask the question, what can I spare? Can I tell you the kingdom of God was not built with spare parts? It was built on sacrifice. We're here today because people believed that. The gospel came to us by sacrifice. We ought to be like the Macedonians and say, how can I share in this service to the Lord's people? How can I share in this service? I want to look one more time at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look with me at verse 6. Paul says, remember this, and we need to today. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Never doubt that for a moment. What a powerful statement. God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So he's saying God's going to bless you first and foremost to meet your needs. But he's going to abound in blessing towards you so that not only can you meet your needs, you can do the good works that he's called you to do. Look a little bit farther down in verse 10. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Man, that sounds good. Who doesn't want that? Look at the next verse. He says, you will be enriched in every way. Praise God. So that, in other words, purpose statement. You're going to be enriched in every way for this reason, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why would your generosity result in thanksgiving to God through Paul? Because Paul was the missionary. Paul was saying, I'm going to go. And through your generosity, I'm going to be sent. And then the next passage is the one we read earlier. Those that are on the receiving end are going to begin to thank God and praise God. and They're going to rejoice. And when they pray, they're going to think about you. Why? Because I carried the gospel that you sent me to carry because God blessed your life. That's the way missions works. So today, I want to challenge you to take this card in your hand. You should have one close by. It's perforated so that the smaller portion, once you filled it out, you can keep for yourself as a reminder. Tuck it in your Bible or stick it on your refrigerator or somewhere you're going to see it. But we're going to take a moment and we're just going to pray. We're going to ask God to speak to us. And I want to invite you, if God impresses on your heart a specific amount, that you would say, you know what, this is, this is a sacrifice. This is what I believe God wants me to do for missions this year. 
this is what I believe God wants me to do, then just fill that out. You can do it weekly or monthly. It doesn't matter how you do the math, but just divide it down either into weeks or months. Now we receive a missions offering. We focus on it every month. So monthly is pretty easy to remember, but you can give to missions at any time through the envelopes or online or via text message. But I want to challenge you to just pray and ask God to speak to you, to make a commitment to say, God, this, this year, I'm going to live intentionally and I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to live on mission, Lord, with my money so that people can know Jesus. So the people who are far from God can, can come near. So we're going to pray over this. But before we do, I just felt in my spirit today that I want to pray for some of you. Would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes? I, I don't know. I don't know what the stack of bills looks like on your kitchen counter. I don't know what stress you're carrying or what burden you're under. But I just want to ask the Holy Spirit right now to just move in, fill us the way he so graciously does, and to give us a new dimension of his grace. The Bible says that if anyone lacks wisdom, he can ask. God will give you wisdom. Maybe you've been doing a lot of asking, but you need some ingenuity. You need to start seeking. God may just put an idea. He might put a person in your mind that you haven't thought about in years. Maybe you've been asking. Maybe you've been spinning your wheels, seeking some ingenuity, but you need to look up some opportunities. God wants you to start knocking on some new doors, going down some new avenues. Just ask him right now. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us wisdom. And God, not just wisdom, but I pray that you give courage today. Give courage to every man and to every woman here to sit down and to, to do the hard work of going through their finances and creating a budget. Lord, for those that are married, Lord, give them the courage to have the conversation that everybody in the room knows they needed to have, but they've just put it off. God, give them the courage to live on mission, Lord. Not just with our mouths on Sundays, but with our money. God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would help us to grow in this grace of giving. And Lord, right now, by your Spirit, would you speak to our hearts, God, as we're yielded and listening? Lord, you know every need before it happens. You know what's happening right now in the hearts and lives of our missionaries on the other side of the globe. We have no idea. We have no idea what harvest is on the other end of our seed. But God, speak to our hearts to be faithful, to be senders, to always be senders. God, build your kingdom in and through us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If God's spoken to your heart, I want to encourage you in this moment, just respond. As simple as writing something down can, can be a covenant moment with you to say, you know what? I, I'm not going to think this thing to death and talk myself out of it. I hear God. I'm going to write it down 
And I'm going to trust that he's going to help me to grow in the grace of generosity. If you do want to fill those out today and you've already done it, as I said, just tear off that smaller portion and keep that with the amount on it for yourself. On your way out, one of our ushers will have an offering plate. You can just drop the other half in there. I'll tell you why that's, that's important. Again, this is a faith promise, okay? It's not a pledge. In other words, if you don't do it, I'm not going to call you and tell us, tell you you owe the church money for missions. Not how this works. It's a covenant between you and God. The reason it matters to us is because we set our vision on your faith. I can pray and hear from God, but I'm not going to set an impossible vision for missions if you don't have the faith to believe God's going to do it. Because guess what? Everything God's going to do, he's going to do through us. We're the church. And so when you respond in faith to God, it helps us to locate what God is doing in our hearts as a church. And we can launch forward in a greater dimension. So if you have that, I want to encourage you to, to drop it off. And if you don't, maybe you need to go home. You say, I got, I got to do some math before I do any more uh, praying and promising. Bring it back with you next week. That's fine. You can put it in the offering plate next week when we receive our missions offering. I want to invite you to stand with me all across the room. And you've been so faithful to just tune in and listen to this word today. I want to just pray a closing prayer. And, and as I do, you know, earlier in our communion time, I just sensed that God was calling some people back to a relationship with him. As we receive the elements of communion, if that was you, we would love to pray for you at the end of this service. If God was tugging at your heart for the first time, or maybe it's just a, a recommitment, today was the day that you said, I, I got to get things right. It was good for me to be in God's house today because he's calling me closer to him. We would love to pray with you today. So as I pray this closing prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite you to just slip out from where you are and to come down to this altar. One of our prayer team will meet you. They'll pray with you here. We're just going to believe that this is the, the best day and that God's going to help you and, and guide you in the days to come. So I want to invite you. If you need prayer today, just come even now. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just bring our lives in alignment with your word. God, sharpen us and perfect us and smooth out the rough edges. God, so that we would be a brilliant reflection of who you are. God, thank you for your word today, Lord, and for what you're speaking to our hearts. God, help us to carry this gospel faster and farther than ever before for your kingdom advancement and for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you.